Okay, well, welcome back to Insights. Uh, this is part two of Jenny uh, from the United Nations, Columbia SIPA, and we'll dive right back into the conversation and, and pick it up where we left off. And then you get into a dream program like Columbia SIPA. I mean, that that is super exciting, uh, especially since you said from a, a work experience standpoint, you didn't feel like you were competitive. So that has to be an exciting result. Uh, how does that feel to get into a school where it, not only is it super famous, but you kind of feel like you maybe don't fit, fit all the requirements? What, what was that moment like? Uh, basically, it's like unbelievable, right? When I got an email, I have to like close it and reopen again whether I read it wrong because I didn't expect to, to basically like get in, but just tried it, you know? But yep. so I, I would say to every like the listeners who might be like you know trying to apply and then you still like hesitating like, whether you should apply or not, just go for it because if you didn't apply, there's been no chance from the beginning, right? So just Love go it. ahead and you never know whether you well you'll be lucky because of of course you know well, whatever you've been prepared and make you like where you are. So it's like my case, you know. I know that I've prepared enough and that's the best that I can do, and the rest is just up to the the uh office uh, admission office to decide right and he has right. the result which is you know like just um super happy with that and i still remember that moment you know when i re- opened the, the email and then see like where i got admitted so yeah that's amazing <laughs> no that's a wonderful feeling and and really i i think a lot of listeners if they do have graduate degrees can really identify with that moment of reading the email twice because yeah. I'll, I'll have clients send screenshots and be like, does this mean what I think it means? Like it says you're accepted. So yes, it means what you think it means. But, uh, you know, you want to be really, really sure before you start celebrating a victory of that level. Um, But yeah, that's a huge deal. Um, As far as taking your shot, I think that's a great point. Uh, You do the absolute best you can do, right? You've got to be the best version of yourself in your scores, in your preparation, in your essays, in your short answer, your recommendations, your interview. I mean, there's so many parts of this process. And then you do have to leave it up to the school, right? You present the best person possible, but you also, well, there's two things. We, we call it positioning, but understanding how do you make sure you stand out and you say, I'm somebody that understands human rights and, and these kinds of issues from around the world. And my goals are related to my home country of Thailand, where we have issues such as A, B, and C. That's that's really great positioning. But- yeah, and I guess it's all come with a focus as well, right? Because mm-hmm. I say like many of my peers, when they apply, then I help kind of like read the application. They kind mm-hmm. of like mention several issues. And then from yeah. a reader perspective, it kind of has what exactly that you would like to do, like what exactly that you are passionate about. So if you can right. send out like one single message, you know, like one story about one, this is you as a person and, you know, like something that makes you unique stand out from others. I think that's really a plus, plus point. Absolutely. Uh, great advice. And that's uh, what we call a, a breadth versus depth issue. Uh, a lot of people that apply to any school, but I can imagine this and anything that makes the world a better place, people tend to go for breadth. They're like, here's 10 things I care about because they think that makes them sound like a wonderful person. Um, but if you care about 10 things, you can't care about any one of them deeply enough to really impact the school or really understand what your focus or your deep dive is going to be. Right. Uh, so I think your uh, choice to focus on depth and, and really concentrate on an issue 
and then make that issue stand out in a bunch of different spaces, right? Whether that was Panama or Thailand or studies or real world. I mean, it, it kept coming up in different ways. So you proved the same thing over and over and over again. That's, that is an effective application. Just listing 10 sad things in the world is not a, a, an effective application. So yeah, MPP, uh, MPA is one thing that people really struggle with uh, because they think breadth, uh, the number, the volume of things you talk about is going to be uh, an asset but really it's a liability. It hurts you when you talk about too many things. So Yeah, but I don't think it's hurt to mention other things that you do, but you have to be strategic in a way that you mentioned it. You may mention one or two sentences just to catch the eye of the readers, but don't spend like the whole essay on different things because you know, like it's kind of hard to find the focus of yourself. Absolutely. So there's for anybody doing applications out there, we have a name for that as way as well. Um, it's serialize and then focus. So what you do is you say, I am interested in A, B, and C. That's where you get your breadth. And then you dive into C and that's where you get your depth, right? Uh, so as you said, you use it at the beginning of the sentence or use A sentence here, A sentence there. So you get credit for it but you don't give them all equal treatment. It can't be one paragraph about this, one paragraph about this, one paragraph about this, because then you start to lose uh, a sense of cohesion. Uh, so absolutely, you're absolutely right. At Admissions Consultant, we have names for everything. So I totally know what you're talking about. Uh, but for everybody else out there, yes, uh, reference those things, care about those things, but probably your work, and it's your actions more than your uh, if you just say, I care, everybody cares, right? <laughs> You're like, here are all the 10 things in my heart. <laughs> That's not an application, right? Um, in fact, we do interviews. Uh, we run scholarship programs. So I interview people all the time. Uh, and they'll say like, I really care about this. And I'll be like, cool. What have you done about it? Nothing. Well, then two possibilities. One, you don't really care about it. Or two, you're a hypocrite. And you do care about it and you've never bothered to do anything about it. So, for example, if you ask most Thais, like, what's an important issue to you? They'll say rural education, just a very common answer, right? What do you care about? Rural education. And I say, awesome. What have you done about it? Right. Uh, and they say nothing. Um, or they did rural development camp once, you know, uh, in college for one week, but they've never done anything since. Uh, and so, honestly, you'd be better off not even mentioning it. <laughs> so uh, the fact is, if you say you care about something, but you've never done anything about it, that hurts you. It doesn't help you. Uh, I think what was helpful in your application is to say, here's what I care about. And here's a bunch of proof that I care about it. And here's how I've impacted that issue. So yeah. I think that's great advice. Yeah, I just want to add that I, I don't want to, you know, like make listeners feel down, but actually like me, like I'm working right now, but be recruiting so many like kind of like, you know, job applicants, many right. candidates still, you know, kind of like uh, in this loop, you know, they mentioned that they are passionate about XYZ, but they cannot show it. So I guess it's the typical problems that, you know, I see for so many applicants and it's not something that you cannot learn. Just, you know, the, tip, the, the tips of it, and then you can practice and then you can do well. So it's just like kind of small tips that to give to the listeners here. Absolutely. Again, these issues follow your whole life. Uh, people think of us in, as an admissions consulting uh, company. And 
statistically, we are the number one admissions consulting firm in, in Southeast Asia, 100% acceptance rate, like that's what we do. Uh, but it's definitely not all we do. Um, helping people get jobs, equally important. Helping people get internships during their graduate studies, equally important. And the things that you learn during admissions, you're going to use that your whole life. Right. Like you said, you're going to use it in a job interview, your ability to focus on a certain issue, your ability to talk about it knowledgeably is really important. Your ability to kind of nail down your positioning, because the thing you do to get into school, you're going to do to get a job. Right. Like you have to have positioning. You can't go in as this kind of abstract everything because that's not going to work. And so uh, what you're describing, it's now you said you leave things up to the admissions office, right? You do the best you can. You leave it up to the admissions office. Now you're the admissions office because hiring people is the same thing. Hiring people and letting them into school, right? So yep. you are now on the other side of the table, but these issues still matter, right? Exactly. And that's why, you know, I kind of like when look back at my application process and the way that I did it, I think I did the right way. Because now when I look at applicants and see all kind of blah, blah, blah. I kind of like throw those applications <laughs> because if you read like hundreds of hundreds of applicants, right, and everyone can yep. say the same thing. I like X, Y, C, and as you say, education always pop up, but then no context. So what else I can find from this person? I just like throw it, drop in a bin, you know. Yeah, you it's exactly to. what happened. Yeah, prove it. Uh, show don't tell. I mean, these are, it's funny because these are like, uh, obviously I've, uh, I've studied business and, uh, I was a journalist and, uh, I studied anthropology and all these different things, but, and, and business might admittedly is really important, but journalism comes up constantly. And it's because we were taught show don't tell, right? For example, for example, for example. So if you want to prove to me that you care about education, just tell me what you did for education. Um, tell me also, I'd like you to know there are other issues in the world other than education, but, uh, regardless, uh, you've got to prove it. So as you said, if they just list it, uh, but never dive into it or haven't done anything about it, uh, it's very easy to kind of dismiss those people. And, and to think, I love that you mentioned the volume, you know, you said hundreds of applicants. Think about how many people are applying to grad school. Schools like Columbia SEPA are going to have thousands of applications and a really small class size. Uh, You're going to have 10,000 people applying to top 10 programs, and they have to choose a class size of 800 or 400 or something. Uh, And so it's really, really challenging. Uh, And so now when you start to empathize, this is what we always talk, empathy to me is the foundation of everything. When you empathize with the reader, the admissions officer, you're going to be better at your job. And just like people applying and uh, to to work with you, if they would empathize with you and understand that you're constantly reading the same thing over and over again, it's going to be really important uh, that uh, that they do things in a way that you're going to find engaging. That's going to jump out at you and make you say, "I admire this person. They seem great. I want them as part of the team." Just out of curiosity, maybe we shouldn't even talk about this. Uh, you talked about forced labor, and there are all these nice words we use, but there are some things that are in the fishing industry, for example, that were front page news. One company in particular, but that was bef- that was after your time, right? I think it was about that term. Oh, then yeah. So that's the other thing to pay attention to is what does the what does America know about Thailand at this moment? Right. Um, so do they know Thailand? Sure. They only know a few things. But if you're in the front page of the New York Times, which uh, the uh, 
the phrase sea slaves was used a lot, but it forced labor um, in uh, in the fishing industry, which is huge in Thailand. I don't I don't know if people understand how big Thailand uh, Thailand is in the in the fishing industry. Um, I I think either the largest or second largest uh, tuna manufacturer comes out of Thailand. But and then you have sugar and rice and all these other industries as well. But yeah, when you're on the front page of the New York Times, maybe that's the thing to talk about. Right. Uh, and so that's what we call that schema. You're tapping into something they already know about. And so you're getting a lot of assistance from their existing information. Uh, and that saves you words. Right. You don't have to explain the whole thing. Like, here's everything you need to know to understand this story. You're tapping into something they read about in the paper that day. Uh, and that, I think, is really helpful in your application as well. Uh so I think you did a ton of things right. Listening to you describe it, I think not only do you, and again, this was forever ago, you probably don't remember it in detail, but what you do remember is exactly right. Like that's how you do an application. So, uh, and I think it's been reinforced by the fact that now you're hiring people and you're kind of on the other side of the table, right? Um, okay, so you get into SEPA, amazing program, read the email twice, super excited. Uh, that's awesome. Really happy uh, that you were able to get that. But of course, like anybody else, you get your dream school. Now you have to show up and do it. When you arrived, uh, especially since you didn't have all the work experience, were you excited, intimidated, both? Did it affect how you operated? Maybe tell us about showing up on the Columbia campus. Well, I would say like maybe during like very first few weeks, I'm a bit intimidated because the class there, that kind of like core classes where you, you know, attend a big lecture hall, that's kind of okay, you know, because these are like econs, you know, stat class. And I have, well, even though I did law, but I have quite a good background in math. So that's not something I like kind of like worried about. But then there's like a small class, you know, in a seminar format with, with about like 10 or even less some, for some classes. And when you, you know, like came in and, Everyone have kind of, and me like baby face, you know, in the room. And everyone was like, who is this girl doing right. here, right? So that's right. kind of very intimidating at the beginning because everyone, you know, they come from work, they have lots of experience, they have a lot to share just by introducing themselves. I literally have nothing to introduce myself because I just fresh, you know, come from undergrad. So that that's really happened like from the very first few weeks. But I guess because... I don't know, it's maybe like the environment uh, kind of people that they selected to become part of the school. They are very open-minded and it's very international in a way that everyone respect diversity, you know, respect where you're coming from and everyone come with a mindset to learn and share. So, uh, you know, like after the first months, for a few months I've been past, I, I literally feel nothing like intimidated because everyone come to learn. And even though I might not have lots of experience compared to others, I still have something to share, you know, because you're reading the same materials and it's based on your life experience more than just work experience to be able to share what you read and reflect on the articles, on the books, right? So I guess that's not really, I would say, um, it's not, it might be intimidated from the beginning, but it's not hard to navigate your, your time um, with, uh, within the school itself. I think that's and great. Professors are very supportive. You know, whenever you have questions, just come to them. They're more than happy to share and, and tell you about their life story. So it's nice. really engaging. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Use the office hours. That's what I tell everybody. Professors have office hours for a reason. People are scared to go because at the schools you're going to, these are 
famous people that have written books on the thing mm-hmm. you care about, but mm-hmm. they want to talk about it or they wouldn't have written the book, right? Uh, yeah, they so, love it, actually. They love it. You yeah, can go for uh, 30 minutes, but then they end up for like three hours all the time. Right. Because yeah. they want to, I mean, yeah, ask smart people about the subject they're passionate about and they'll talk. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Uh, and that's cool. You're getting this one-on-one lesson from a world-class expert. Um, and sometimes that's Nobel Prize winners, and they'll just talk to you. <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, and and then you get to instantly ask follow-up questions and probing questions, and, and it's a conversation, uh, and you get to learn about it in a level of depth that you wouldn't in those big seminar classes. Or sorry, not seminar classes, but the, the big classes of 400 people. Uh, of course, that's going to be just more of a lecture, and, and you're not going to get that. So Exactly, one-on-one. and I guess... Because the, the school is more like professional school, so professor kind of have an understanding that, you know, everyone come here and at the end of the day, they have to go out and find a job, right? So yeah. whatever issues that you've been discussing privately with professor, they are more than happy to connect you to those, you know, who know better. And that's really helped with your career path as well. Because as I say, you know, like one of the reasons why I chose Columbia to be here, because I know that is basically next door to the UN. Right. And I mentioned that I'm interested in this and that, and professor are happy to connect me to the person who's work on, working on that issues, you know. And I guess this is something that a plus that, you know, you're being here, so maximize your opportunity and trying to connect to as many people as possible. Yeah. And I mean, this is such a networking thing. Again, it's something we associate with business school. And a lot of people think networking is going to be about your classmates, right? Uh, Like, oh, my friend, I I met this guy and their family businesses, they own everything. And yeah, that does happen. Um, But your professors are a great network. Um, And especially in professional schools, they start to treat you as their equals. Granted, you were baby-faced and super young, uh, but they are used to treating people as their equals rather than their students, and they'll have real conversations with you. They respect you, and then they'll refer you to another expert, another expert, and then you suddenly have this amazing opportunity or experience. Uh, For people not familiar with seminar courses, I do want to point this out. Um, You you mentioned a class of six to ten people. For most Thais, that sounds insane. Right. Uh, if you went to Thai public school, you have 50 people in your class. Uh, even if you go to uh, international school, you're going to have 30 people in your class. The idea that you would be at the highest level. Uh, and I was fortunate to get this experience. I went to a state school, but we had a scholarship program, a scholar program where uh, if you were at a certain level, you got to take seminar classes. So you'd be with the best professor. There'd be 10 people sitting around a table. Your homework was read this book and then that's it. You showed up and talked about it for two hours. Um, and I loved it. It was super exciting. Uh, and again, coming from from state schools and public schools, that was that was really strange for me. But um, I would imagine for you as well, six people, 10 people sitting around a table talking, uh, we call it Socratic learning, but it is such an amazing way to learn um, and, and very different, right? Yeah, very much. And I guess that's a better way to learn, right? Because if you're in a big lecture hall, there's no chance for you to really voice your opinion. But this is the place, you know, and there's no one judging. Right. Yeah, it's not nearly as judgmental uh, as it might be elsewhere. But I will also say for all the ties out there that are so afraid of speaking up because they might be wrong, is to know that if you're going to the best schools in the world, you will occasionally be wrong. Uh, And that's helpful, too. 
you want someone to say, actually, I had this experience or, you know, have you ever thought about it from this other direction? And it's not rude. It's just everybody's trying to learn and get better. And you would do it in return, right? A lot of these people that might have 10 or 20 years of policy experience may have been working at the macro level. And you can say, well, on the ground in Thailand or in Panama, this is what I saw. This is what's going on. So it goes both directions, right? Uh, So I think you're accurate to say it's not judgmental, but that's not to say that people won't, uh, you know, push or uh, discuss, um, and we call it a team of rivals kind of concept. But you know, you always kind of challenge each other to be better, and that, that that has to happen at the best schools in the world because you're trying to produce the best people in the world. Yeah, and you know, when we are in the policy school, it's exactly what happens outside the school, right? In the real world, when we talk about public policy, it's all about debating, and there's no mm-hmm. one single solution that's always correct. It's all about different yeah. values, negotiating, and what's the best for that particular situation. Time pass, solutions might be different. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's not It's not math. It's not two plus two equals four, and it only exactly. equals four, right? Exactly, uh, yeah. There are different perspectives, and you've got to prioritize. I yep. mean, they may be right. Let's come back to SDGs, right? They may be right about that one thing, but if you put it in the context of several other things, that's why public policy is so hard, right? And um, fun I mean, in a way. You, it's and fun but, in a way because it's oh, all, totally. Yeah, I love it because there isn't a right answer, like you said. Um, and uh, I mean, it's something as small as when people are watching the federal interest rate, for example, right? What's the Fed going to do? And that sounds like a small thing, right? Our interest rates going to change by 025 percent. Um, it's inflation versus growth versus jobs. I mean. Uh, there's so many things at play. Uh, and that's what public policy people have to do is they have to think about uh, intended impacts, unintended, uh, you know, positive and negative externalities. It's just this, man, it's a mess. Uh, there's so much going on. But that, again, like you said, that's what makes it so cool. Um, speaking of cool, my favorite story, and I'm sure you have a bunch and I want to hear all of them, but my favorite story, because I'm jealous, uh, is that you got to, as you said, go to the UN, but uh, I think we were having uh, coffee or something, and I'm not sure if you were still in school or just finished, but um, you told me that uh, you got to work with either a professor or an employer or something like that, but you would do this research, which a lot of people do. Younger people do the research, and this happens in business, right? You write the white paper, you write the the PowerPoint and stuff like that, but then your boss gets to go say all your smart stuff, right? Well, for you, you got to write some really cool stuff and then go to a meeting that you got to sit in and somebody said your words out loud. It's always exciting. Somebody important says your words outside or out loud. But they said your words to President Obama, right? Yeah, maybe just give a bit of context. Then what 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 was the, the experience was all about? So basically, at that time, I well, um, I work at the office of the President of the General Assembly. So as many of you may know, like at the UN, we have the UN Secretariat, hosted by the the Secretary of the UN, right? The Secretary General of the UN at that time was Ban Ki Moon, and then we have the uh, General Assembly. And this is more of the UN member states. And I work at the office of the president of the General Assembly. And the opportunity, you know, like the, the biggest opportunity that I gained from this office is that you met all the 
kind of like country leaders around the world, or the famous people, because normally UN will have like a general assembly meeting every year in September. And that is the kind of like the time when all the big leaders around the world, be it public or private sectors, they all come and gather in this meeting. And that was a chance that I got to meet so many kind of like, you know, famous people like Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Obama and or Putin, you know, everyone during that, that time. So the thing is that um, one of the tasks that I was assigned to is to write a speech for the president of the General Assembly. And that speech like came to when he had a meeting with Obama. That's what they mentioned. But also not just with Obama, but with others kind of like leaders because we have to prepare speech for all, for them anywhere, right? They right. cannot just think of. So yeah, that's, that's what happened. Yeah, so basically all the speech or the briefing note that I prepared, it was mentioned. And I fortunate enough to be, you know, kind of like attend a private meeting between the president and all world leaders. So that was really and an kind of like, you know, one in a lifetime experience because you got to know like what exactly that the world leaders are discussing, right? And I recall that during that time, this was a kind of like special year because this was a year that SDGs were launched. There was a year that, you know, we elected the new secretary general. So, so many things happening and I kind of see like what happened in the background, you know, like lobbying right. and everything about the right. politics. It was like a very, very kind of like once in a lifetime moment to, to learn all that. Yeah. I mean, like you said, everything had to come together. Uh, launching the SDGs, what a big deal. Um, uh, uh, electing, uh, you know, a new election and all, what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and sorry, I, I should clarify for everyone out there. I could meet the most famous actor on the planet. Not care. Musician. Don't care. Uh most of my favorite authors are dead, so authors don't care. Uh, President Obama is the one person that I am just blown away by. Um, he is brilliant, a brilliant speaker, uh, a good human being. Like everything about him is amazing. And so, honestly, if I were just sitting at a table across from him, not talking, I think I would kind of get that uh, celebrity kind of feel. Uh, and uh, it would be hard for me to just. <laughs> maintain my composure uh, around him in particular. So that's why this story blows me away. Um, and it's not to say that I don't respect a lot of people. I've act, I've met Nobel Prize winners uh, who wrote uh, letters of recommendation for my clients. And I regularly meet with CEOs from huge Thai companies that I respect deeply. In fact, the social enterprise conference you were at, just to go through the keynote speakers, if you remember, I was up there introducing everything and speaking about social enterprise, but we had Kun Chan-sen, who was the, the CEO of PTT at the time. We had the governor of the Bank of Thailand. We had the head of the largest UN agency in Thailand, uh, who I have coffee with and hang out with. She's amazing. She's now in Mexico. But uh, we had the CEO of Mefa Luang, which is a big deal. Um, we have Dr. Michai, who invented social enterprise and cabbages and condoms. Uh, these people are all amazing. And it's not to take anything away from them, but I could totally just, we had lunch together, sat around, hang out, talk. I talk to Forbes people all the time just by the nature of what I do. I respect all of those people. Uh, but the fact that you got to sit across from Obama and hear uh, people, uh, hear somebody say your words to him to me just blows me away. So um, that's a good enough reason all by itself to go to Columbia SIPA, uh, work at the UN, uh, at, like all the stars had to align uh, and the timing had to be perfect. But what an amazing experience for you. Um, do you remember what it 
felt like? Um, well, I guess I have to say I'm kind of like impression towards Obama, like yourself, right? He was like a super like great speaker and great thinker. So I can't remember what was discussed because it's always like a big topic at the UN at the time, similar like issues as what uh, the president discussed with others, kind of world leaders. But I, I kind of like recall, you know, like he's charming, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that was something that, you know, he is very attractive when he speaks and, and that's really like happened. And, and everyone at the UN know that, you know, you have to <laughs> see him live when he delivered his speech. It's really right. everyone mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, this is just someone that I, in particular, obviously you can hear it in my voice. I sound like a fanboy, but, uh, but yeah, I've always been jealous of you for that experience. Uh, so uh, very cool. You say Zuckerberg and I'm like, eh. <laughs> so, which is weird because I'm in business, but um, I work with a lot of people that work directly under Z Zuckerberg as well. You know, I've worked with Facebook. Um, so uh, I don't know. There's just something very special about that. Um, so amazing experience, but great that also to point out that it's public and private sector. So that's really cool. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm sort of envisioning we are going to eventually put all this stuff on YouTube and I'm, a I'm envisioning the, the, the visuals that we'll have to put up for each of these things. And I think that's going to be cool because because your experience is so interesting and so all over the place, you know, public and private sector. But that's kind of the next step, because then the next time we met, um, you were well we, it, twice around the same time. We had we had coffee when you first got back. Uh, but then you came to the Social Enterprise Conference, the UN Social Enterprise Conference. Yep. Um, and at that time, I think you were working at a think tank, which means it was private sector, but you're uh, making recommendations to the public sector. So a little bit of a blend. Is is my memory right? Yes. Well, for Thai um, listeners, you might be familiar with the organization. It's, it's a TDRI, Thailand Development Research Institute. So it's kind of like, I'm not sure what is the status, but basically it's a think tank and provide a lot of recommendation to the government. And we work a lot on the policy from kind of like different issues. So I was working there when I met you for about a year before I, I moved to the UN. But yes, the issues, um, kind of like the big project that I spent so much time on was about the regulatory kind of guillotine. We called it that project. So we kind of like trying to look at the review the law and see, you know, which one is kind of outdated. So we suggest mm. to, to kind of like remove it or even make change to it to make sure that it's more kind of fit for purpose. Because some of the law was here like for 100 years and no one changed it given the situation right. of the world has been changing, right? So that's what right. happened in um, my, my kind of like big project there. Okay. And I mean, the, the, this kind of stuff. So if you, if you're asking yourself, what would I be doing? You could be doing all sorts of things, right? So you could be geared toward FDI, foreign direct investment. How do we get people to invest? How do we get companies to come here? Um, is it going to be tax breaks? Is it about the ecosystem or who do we want to try to incentivize? Uh, is this going to be the Eastern economic corridors going to be in, in Bangkok? Is this going to be, uh, you know, um, uh, free trade zones on the Myanmar border. Like, I mean, it, it's all this kind of stuff, right? Um, and so they do ask for outside help because there's a lot of decisions to be made. Or if for, if you want to talk about things that people definitely recognize is, is grab going to be legal? That's a big decision the government and has that's to make. exactly what I did as well about the sharing economy, right? Not just grab like Airbnb and everything, how you can kind of like revise the law to accommodate all the new changes. Yeah, that's what I did as well, part of this project. Right. And I mean, that's huge. 
because as you said, it's not just grab, it's the sharing economy. Um, and in, and then the government has all these different stakeholders like, okay, well, we have people, we want to help them get around. We want to, we want tech companies to come in. We want to help, but then we have to worry about the taxi driver unions and we have to make sure taxi drivers are protected and we have to make sure things are safe and that everybody pays their taxes and just yeah. all sorts of stuff, right? Um, Airbnb, we got to worry about the hotel industry, but also we want to help people that have invested in condos. And um, there's just, I mean, there's just a lot going on and w- your role is to do all the the dirty work and do all the research of all the positive and negative externalities. Here's the projected financials, et cetera, et cetera. And then you say, here's all the stuff. And then of course, it's the government's job to make a final decision, right? Exactly. That's what happened. And just on the, for example, on the Airbnb, you know, we've been debating just the definition of the hotel. Mm. that's what really happened you know like according to the law it's like four rooms but can we expand that and you know like whether it's hotel hostel you know all complexity around just the definition itself absolutely yeah Yeah. um and uh and these are just really really big deals with lots of different stakeholders and lots of different people with influence and everybody wants something different everybody's sure they're right um and then of course since then you have financial technology uh you have fintech right now the arguments about blockchain crypto uh a lot of big decisions to be made uh uh, around the banking sector and, and things like that so entrepreneurship and innovation sound like cool things but then you need regulatory environments that promote or allow those things right yep exactly uh, so uh it's a really tough and for a lot of startup companies you know if you think about the grabs and things like that they essentially move in whatever they're doing um uh uber eats and all sorts of stuff so they come in and what they're doing is not technically legal but not technically illegal because it's brand new there is no law right yep. uh and then they just operate and then people start to say okay are we going to make this legal are we going to make it illegal? Are we going to leave it in the gray area? Uh, but every innovative tech startup company is kind of operating in a space that the government hasn't prepared for because it never existed. Yeah, it's a challenging task for the government. And I guess they still kind of like follow the pace of the startups, right? And that's why they need think tank to be able to help them, right? Because sometimes there's new technologies that they themselves didn't really understand what's going on. To be able to regulate, you have to understand the, the kind of technologies itself. And I think this is challenging, but well, they try, at least they try to change. And that's the, the kind of like plus mindset that they should have instead of just, you know, like saying no to everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And to give credit where credit is due, I know people can be kind of down on uh, governments in general. They think are they're very slow moving or they're bureaucratic or, or things like that. And you can't say that that's... Uh, either true or false, but what you do have to recognize is the decisions they make are huge uh, because exactly. there are always negative externalities. There are always unintended consequences. Uh, and if you say yes to one thing, you've actually said yes to 10 uh, and people are going to use it differently, right? So uh, when you start allowing online banking, very simple thing, uh, KBank, SCB, BBL, they're going to use it in one way, that's fine. But then you'll have these weird you know, startups or just somebody comes in and starts to do their own version of it. And it's totally different because they're not uh, an established uh, player. Uh, and, and so governments do have to make some very tough decisions, but that's where these think tanks would come in and say, hey, don't worry, we've thought about all the negative externalities as well. 
and here's everything you can expect. So um, really cool. I've always admired. I think you want to affect public policy. Uh, yeah. Very important. But you might not want to work in the government. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> uh, that could be exhausting. It can be bureaucratic. It can be frustrating. It can be limiting because you tend to get kind of caught up in just one space. Uh, so knowing that you can go into public policy, uh, means that you can work in a lot of different spaces. You can work in the, that place in between the public sector and the private sector and a very exciting place to be. So you said you were there for about a year. Yes, just a year. And then I moved to, to the UN. Well, this continues to be fascinating. Really enjoying this conversation. Uh, it's, uh, Getting a little bit long, uh, which I think is a good thing, means that uh, the conversation is is very interesting and engaging, definitely on our part. I hope the listeners feel the same as well, but uh, probably a natural time to take a, a second pause, and then we'll kick it off in part three uh, with Jenny uh, here shortly.